Hey everyone, welcome to the GeoTrek podcast. Wow, we're already on episode 30, and this is a very special episode where I reconnect with many of my closest extreme weather science friends from around the world, many of whom live in Europe, but really all over the world, South America, different parts of North America as well. I was participating in the fifth international conference on advances in extreme value analysis and application to natural hazards hosted by the University of Central Florida in Orlando, Florida during May 2022. I was fortunate to be able to participate in the first two conferences in this series. The first conference was in Siegen, Germany in September 2013. The second conference was in Santander, Spain in September 2015. I love these conferences because they brought together experts in extreme weather and ocean science statistics to discuss how we can best analyze extreme events. Extreme events, whether they relate to flood levels, wind speeds, ocean wave heights, or some other weather or ocean hazard, refer to infrequent high magnitude weather or ocean events that have a tremendous impact on people and nature. The conference has always been very international. It started from a research group in Siegen, Germany, but then, you know, it really grew over time. Even at the first conference, we had people from many countries, especially in Europe, participating. I was the only American to participate in both the first and second conference. Unfortunately, I missed conferences three and four, which were held in Paris, France, and Southampton, United Kingdom. So it was great to reconnect with old friends and meet many new ones this year. You know, everyone was saying how nice it was to be at a conference face-to-face without any more Zoom conferences. We all, you know, Zoom did the best job it could in uh, helping us do video presentations, but we really missed the networking and the relational aspect. It was so great. Last night we had the, uh, the gala dinner, and it was really nice to just spend some social time with everyone. Before we get into this year's conference and the lessons I learned, I wanted to ask you to please subscribe to our podcast. Your subscription helps us measure progress and make professional partnerships moving forward, which ensures many more exciting episodes of the GeoTrek podcast. So let's dive into the EVEN 2022 conference in Orlando. I wanted to start with a brief interview I did with Jens Bender. Jens was one of the original organizers of the EVEN conference. We talked a little bit about the history behind it. I'm here at the EVAN 2022 conference in Orlando, Florida. I'm with Jens Bender, an important person with this. Jens, you were there from the beginning, really getting this started back in uh, Siegen, Germany, back in the early days, right? Yes, uh, indeed. And um, in 2013, we worked a lot uh, on on extreme value analysis and stuff. And um, there was no conference at all. focusing on this topic so we decided in 2013 to um, give the Evan conference a try and we organized it and we had about some 75 to 80 uh, people coming to Siegen in Germany and yeah that's it. Uh, yeah, and it was a, I remember it was a good mix of people from different countries, right? A lot of different countries in Europe were represented and a lot of interesting research back then. Absolutely, and not only from Europe. Um, people came from, from the US, from Australia, from New Zealand, and one also from Africa as well. Yeah. well why is it so important to study extremes? You know, these um, statistics and the analysis of extreme events, why do you think it's so important? And why are people so interested in this work? I think in particular, um, when we think about um, climate change and um, rising um, seas and um, increase in flooding and stuff, we need to be prepared. We, we need to know how 
nature um, threats will will hit us in the future and so the only thing we can do now is um, to apply statistics on it and to get an idea what we can do and what will the the, the design levels uh, in the future especially. yeah and the extreme events are really where we see a lot of the big impacts and the losses right that's true absolutely yeah Jens, last question. Was there one event, one, one major natural hazard or disaster that you can remember either from your childhood or as a young adult? Was there something that got you interested in this topic of extreme weather and extreme impacts on engineering? Um, no, not at all. But what I remember is that we had lots of extreme events, especially in Europe and, and Germany, within the last decade. There were so many um, extreme floods last year in 2021 with uh, about 160 um, um, dead people in Germany. And um, yeah, that's uh, what I remember at the moment. That's a good point. And the timing of this conference, which started in 2013, and then we had 2015, you know, it, it kind of coincides or parallels with these more extreme events that we're seeing in the past decade. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. the timing of the conference couldn't be better. I appreciate all the work that you and your colleagues put into organizing it. Yeah. I was always uh, I was thankful when I heard it was coming to the States. And I think the next one may be back in Europe. We'll, we'll find out more about that in the coming days. Hopefully, yeah. Thanks, Jens. Appreciate you taking time. Thank you, Al. One of the common themes I heard at the conference this year was the importance of identifying historic floods and using them when we consider flood risk analysis. This includes analysis to determine the delineation of flood zones, defining restricted areas where people should not live, and determining design criteria for flood protection. When I say design criteria, I mean that flood control infrastructure like dams, seawalls, levees, and dikes are built to withstand a certain water level or rate of water flow. How do we know how high such control structures should be built? That's the topic of much discussion in the field of climate science and engineering. Various statistical methods have been developed so engineers can adequately design these infrastructures. Despite the best advances in science, there are still a few ways that Mother Nature can surprise us and blindside us and overwhelm our flood control infrastructure and flood our communities. One way is by throwing weather or water conditions at us that we've never seen in a certain area before. While climate change can certainly have an impact on this, so does randomness and variability. In other words, even if the climate were not changing, we should expect extreme storms sometimes that have not happened before on record to still occur. It's also interesting to note that sometimes we get quote unquote blindsided by storms that repeat what already happened a long time ago in the history that maybe we forgot or never knew. I've seen this very often as I've developed the first comprehensive coastal flood database for the United States. Take last summer when I was documenting the impact of Hurricane Ida in southeast Louisiana. I was in a community called Laplace, Louisiana, just west of New Orleans. This area is east of the Mississippi River and not far from the western shore of Lake Pontchartrain. It's vulnerable to compound flooding, both from heavy rainfall and saltwater storm surge floods in Lake Pontchartrain when a hurricane approaches this area from the south or the southeast. Hurricane Ida flooded this area extensively in August of 2021. I was on the ground assessing the flood impacts in Laplace the days after Ida when I came across a couple that easily could have died in the storm. 
They stayed in their home. There was not a mandatory, a, not a mandatory evacuation in the area because Ida intensified so rapidly that there was not enough time to evacuate New Orleans metro area. When water began rising rapidly in their home, they took refuge in their attic. People usually can survive this situation if the flood water recedes quickly. Otherwise, they can actually die of heat stress in their attic if they don't have an axe to chop their way onto the roof. In this case, however, the area that they were living in also experienced hurricane force winds and one of the homes in their neighborhood actually lost its roof. Can you imagine taking refuge in your attic and your neighbor's house had just lost its roof? What if your house loses its roof? You could certainly die in a storm like that. What struck me about this story is that the couple did not realize that their community had a high flood risk. They were told that they're not in FEMA's flood zone and they were only aware of one other flood in their neighborhood back in 2012. I pieced this together and figured that must have been from Hurricane Isaac, which was a slow-moving large hurricane that produced a lot of compound flooding in the area. There was storm surge, prolonged storm surge in Lake Pontchartrain, and some areas saw more than 12 to 15 inches of rain. So there was a flood in 2012. But many people considered Isaac to be an outlier, a rare storm that was unprecedented and that they would probably never see again. What most people didn't know, though, is that there's a really ample evidence in this area, the western area of Lake Pontchartrain, that there were some big floods a long time ago in, in history. The U.S. Army Corps has a very detailed map of southeast Louisiana and clearly shows a 13-foot flood in 1915. That's 1915, over 100 years ago. They did didn't have internet, they didn't have smartphones, but they had pen, paper, and rulers and measuring devices, and they measured a 13-foot flood there in 1915, and another one, 13 feet as well, in 1965 during Hurricane Betsy. Both of these 13-foot uh, surges, which were measured near the small uh, community of Frenier, Louisiana, on the western shore of Lake Pontchartrain, they certainly would have flooded the Laplace area. So what's really interesting is this, this history had been forgotten. And if I was a betting man, I would bet good money that this home these people lived in would have flooded at least four times since 1915. That's, you know, four times in 106 years. So that's flooding about once every 26, 27 years. But from their perspective, there was one flood ever. They're not in a flood zone. They're not at risk. You can kind of see how um, people can get in a hard situation when when this happens. So in this case, we had a family that almost perished in the storm, really in part because they did not know their flood history. And I found it really refreshing at this conference to talk to others that had, had seen the same thing in other parts of the world and talking about how we can make changes and improvements and use these historical storms when we look ahead to the future. I wanted to introduce you to the first researcher that I interviewed. It was a beloved professor, senior professor Jürgen Jensen, and he's the chief editor with the German Coast Engineering Research Council. Uh, he has a large lineage of many uh, students and grad students that had worked under him that were at this conference. In fact, they presented him with an award at the conference of his academic family tree, and it is so extensive. He's influenced so many people to do great research in the area of extremes and understanding uh, flood risk and, and other issues in engineering. Professor Jürgen played a big role in organizing the original EVAN conference in Siegen, Germany. It was a pleasure to reconnect with him to discuss this important topic. Here we are at the EVAN 2022 conference in Orlando, Florida. I'm with Professor Jürgen. I really enjoyed meeting you so far and we talked about historic floods. You shared the importance of the, these historic flood data in places like Germany going back in time. 
Yeah, I think it's really important to look what happened in in, in the past uh, because um, the, the risk of uh, high storm surges in the North Sea and even storm surges in the Baltic Sea endanger a lot of people in Germany and, and the economy and, and the losses are really high and so it could be a bit big mistake only to focus on the last let's say 100 years or 150 years we have long time series maybe the longest worldwide but even in times before we had big storms and um, that might be better to um, um, relate evacuation um, um, management of disaster to these storms um, because we don't accept people um, or deaths told or, uh, due to, to storm surge or we should not accept that. And, and therefore, uh, we have to look in the, in the, in the, in the history what, what happens. Um, and um, there we found a lot of historical storms. Uh, and when we relate them to nowadays sea, uh, sea level, then they might be even higher than what we have observed in the last 150 years. Professor Jürgen, how far back does the data set go for places like in the North Sea and the Baltic Sea? Yeah, we, we, we are in a really good position that we can um, that we find uh, documents down to uh, back to 1044, so the really a long time ago, and even the Romans uh, uh, write something down about uh, storm surges in the yeah, around about the year 300 after Christ. So this is completely different, I think, in as in in in, in, in the United States uh, where you can't look so far back. But we have um, good documents, chronicles, archives, where you find really good information about, let's say, just working on a Baltic storm from um, uh, 1300 um, in, the 13, in the 14th century. And, and you find exact numbers, how high uh, the storm surge was in, 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 in a church, also how many feet above something. And um, with a little bit of work, you can convert it in, in our um, level systems. So sometimes people may say that was a long time ago, though we shouldn't consider it. Um, I think you had said sometimes people look at that like an outlier, right? A big historical storm. What is the danger in calling that an outlier and saying we won't even consider it in the statistics? Yeah, I think it's a big mistake to call them an outlier because it happens. It's real world. Yeah, uh, it happens in, in reality and therefore it, it should um, be uh, yeah, the, uh, uh, the level where we orientate evacuation and disaster management. And otherwise, we had this situation. We had the situation um, in, in, in Germany in uh, 1962 last time with 300 people uh, died in, in, uh, in, in, in mostly in Hamburg. This was a saltwater flood, right? Uh, it was a storm surge, a saltwater flood, and, and uh, with severe storms, uh, a damage. So it, it damaged much higher than in uh, flood floodings in 2002 or same range as we had last year um, in, in, uh, in the western part of Germany. So same situation. They focused on short, high-quality time series, worked out design criteria. And what happened was something three times, even four times more than these design uh, discharges. And we had another nearly 200 people died during this uh, floodings um, in small catchment areas because they didn't look or take into account what happened in the past. We have nowadays, we know that in, in the beginning of the 20th century, 1910, 
1804, we had similar events. And when we take that as a basis for, 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 for let's say, disaster management, then it, it, it should be possible to, to um, yeah, uh, that everybody could be saved. Professor Jürgen, do, do sometimes people make the mistake of saying those old data are not quite as precise or, we, you know, we, we don't have um, maybe as much accuracy, so they throw it out, right? But because maybe we didn't have digital or electronic data from 200 years ago, right? Do they sometimes say, well, the, the more recent data is more precise, so we'll focus on this, and, and then they throw away the old data, maybe? Yeah, this is a hard and long discussion. Um, I, I, I have, 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 yeah, let's say from, from my PhD in the in the early 80s, last uh, century. So for it's for me just uh, all my lifetime. I have uh, I have these discussions because I think it's a big mistake only to rely on this most accurate accurate data for some decades and and uh, extremes could could happen um yeah in a cluster uh, or could could happen in in the past in much higher uh, in on a much higher level and, and and so forth in in order to protect the people the coastline for let's at least for for that for 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 death um told uh, you have to take into account these historical events and that must be the basis for 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 the management of disaster and i think it's a big mistake to only to concentrate on high accuracy short-term yeah. time series professor jürgen the big rainfall floods in western germany this was the summer of 2021 um this went way beyond uh, well beyond the design criteria right for the flood control do you see historic rainfall events that maybe match you know when you go back far enough um anything like that or was this really unprecedented like not seen before no, this is um, that is um, what what was pronounced by politicians and 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 and, 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 and responsible persons that we have never seen before. But this is absolutely not true. This is just because they concentrate on the last decades. Again, same story. When you look back in in old um, in chronicles and so on, so you find very similar events. Um, and, and it's just 100 years ago, 1910, was in the same area in the R Valley on the, along the River R, a very similar event. So you only had to, to look what happens 100 years before, yeah? and, and then you will be prepared for such an event. And from my eyes, um, in my eyes, it's a big mistake uh, as we, uh, our procedure of uh, calculating design level and even the extreme levels as basis for for disaster management. Yeah. I really appreciate your perspective. I think it's it, you know it's important to consider what happened in the past and then to maybe superimpose climate change on top of that. I mean, of what course. if we use the past as a baseline and say, well, sea levels will be higher, maybe rainfall will be even higher than that, you know? Yeah. It, it I think it can give us more accurate assessment perhaps. Yeah. This is uh, absolutely correct. So the uh, what we already uh, have seen in in some areas that uh, climate change has an effect on on temperature and and rainfall and and that means even these historical events what what they happened in a real world maybe under under conditions anthropogenic effects we we drained the rivers and so on, we do a lot of agriculture, but mostly we did it worse than it was in centuries before. So we go closer to the rivers. Um, yeah, when you see pictures from this flood, you will see caravans um, on the river, cars were, were pushed away on the river. So 
they, they came to bridges and blocked. So completely new situation. And so it becomes worse from, from, from our anthropogenic effects. It becomes worse from climate change. And therefore, it's not, not, absolutely more important to look what happened uh, in the past. Or in right. The right. And to say the future will be at least like that and maybe in some ways worse. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Professor Jürgen, thank you so much for taking time. I wish you a great conference here and it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was a really interesting perspective there from Professor Jürgen. I heard a similar perspective from two French scientists who study coastal flood risk along the Atlantic coastline of France, Alexa Latapi and Natalie Gilloy with the French National Hydrographic Office shared perspectives on sea level rise and coastal storms at the EVEN 2022 conference. In particular, they talked about lessons learned from a storm called Zinthia, which struck France in the winter of 2010. The storm surge inflicted many fatalities, unfortunately, in a low-lying area along the French coastline. Okay, we'll get started. We're at the EVEN 2022 conference. Could you please introduce both of yourselves and say also where you work? Um, I'm Alexa, I'm from from, uh, from CHOM, the French National Geographic Office, and I'm working on uh, historical uh, sea levels observation, and particularly data rescue, uh, data rescue projects. And I'm Natalie, I work as well as the uh, CHOM, and I'm focusing on extreme historic storm events. So Alexa and Natalie, you're both doing very important work on really um, doing flood risk analysis along, especially in the coast of France, right? Yes, mostly on uh, metropolitan France coastlines, yes. How, how far back do you look historically when you look into historical events and, you know, looking back at the flood history? As far as we can, I think, there's um, mostly... Uh, in the since the 19th century maybe 18th century because that's the period where we have most of the information conserved in our uh, archives yeah so we have uh, what we call qualitative data which is mostly found in archives which are like s ancient scientific reports or diaries uh, Newspaper. newspapers describing events and then we have tight gauge series that goes the oldest one goes back to 1850s starting in the 1850s which we can use to have systematic observation uh, during the storms for example and you both work together so alexa you work sometimes more with like the tide gauge data yes. and maybe natalie more with the impact and the like the um w what the effect of the storm was is that true sometimes yes basically this is, uh, this is it yeah that's true and we are trying, well, I, I'm trying also to reconstruct historic levels using qualitative data. So basically when you have the information that, for instance, a, a harbor was flooded, but you have no, no water level that is given, then we're trying to estimate what water level could have been reached. So if we see so much damage happen, you say, wow, that might have been, I don't know, a three meter flood, or you maybe try to bring the flood quantity based on what we see on the qualitative, right? Or on the impact. Yes, that's it. That's the idea is to find maybe some uh, historical maps to uh, know the height of the, uh, what do you say, the, the height of the dikes or the, the, the dikes, and then you can estimate the, the total water height for the flood. Yeah, um, we know that there was a ma major storm there, was it about 10 years ago, uh, uh, Cyclone Xenia, is that right? Yeah, Cyclone Xenia, uh, tropical, uh, not tropical no. storm, extra tropical storm Xenia, which is called Xenia. Um, in 2010. 
So this was in February, right? In the yeah. winter time. Yeah. And February, this, March. This was really catastrophic, right? I mean, it really had a big impact, even with some fatalities of people, I believe. Yeah, I think we had more than 50 casualties. Uh, I don't have the flooded surface in mind. in mind, but it was like around La Rochelle area, which is a low-lying area, marshlands. They were really flooded and, and we had a 1.5 meter storm surge. So could you give the context of this? I mean, wh what kind of area did it hit? And I think you had told me before that some people in that area were actually living below sea level. Yeah, so it's like a low-lying area where you also have um, regained areas on on sea. And uh, so you have a lot of areas that are below sea level. And actually older people used, uh, knew the risks and they lived on like the small elevations that you have. But in the 1980s, 90s, there were uh, constructions that were built just behind the dunes or the dikes. and below sea level and unfortunately these were also um, only they had only one floor so uh, the storm also hit the area during the night time so basically people were sleeping and at four or five in the morning water came in and people just drowned so this is behind the dunes you said maybe in the 1980s 1990s people came and moved there at a low level and did not really expect that they could be flooded yeah, definitely. That's it. But it came in then. And, and like you said, they only had one floor. They couldn't really escape once the flood was upon them. Yes. yes. But this area has had flooded before, right? But just most people did not know about that. Yeah, that's that's just it. We found that uh, because we we did a study about this and we found that in the 20th century, we had like um, four storms. So basically 1924, 1940, 1941 and 1957. So where you had water levels comparative to Xintia, but we, we don't know if like people forgot about it or if just they didn't know about it because they, they moved to this region and nobody told them. And this had been maybe 60 or 70 years since the last one. The, the years that you just mentioned were between the 20s and the 50s and then nothing like that since then, perhaps. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So this is where maybe people did not know the history or there aren't people really alive today in that area that knew of the potential danger, perhaps. Yeah, that's a problem. And also the problem is that the municipality wanted to give um, or gave um, construction permits that were kind of discussable in a, place. Yeah, in a dangerous place because they were below sea level. But since uh, Xintia, there is more communication about, uh, about this hazard, flooding hazard. And I think that people are more aware of uh, coastal dangers. And also since we Zintia. Yeah, since Zintia. And also we have a new uh, warning system since then, which is really more effective than, yes. than it was during Zintia time. Well, I mean, what do you think is like the biggest lesson learned from Cyclone Zintia? I think that it's a danger can come, can come to the sea. Uh, I think that people at the time uh, forgot uh, about it. Uh, and since uh, then, there's many, uh, many tools that uh, were made to, um, to improve our knowledge of uh, meteorological and oceanographical uh, events. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very helpful. Thank you for sharing it. It's a common theme I've heard here at the conference is understanding our history and then 
doing a proper risk assessment. So we're not, we use a word in English called blindsided. It's when something happens that you didn't see it coming. Yes. Yeah. And this is um, unfortunately, I think, what happened in that storm. And hopefully we can keep it from happening again. Yes. Yeah. And also we showed that it's important to go back in history because sometimes events like this already happened not so long ago. So it's really important to look what happened in the past. In the past. When um, And then for what you find in the history there, do you find some of these historic floods in, in newspaper articles or, say, photographs in libraries? Like, how have the how has the knowledge been preserved? When Like, the, the flood levels you found from the past, how did you find them? Actually, for the 20th century, we have uh, newspaper articles a lot. Um, we also have some uh, engineers of uh, th that lived during these areas because they were responsible for the dike hates and dike maintenance so they had to make reports on the dike that broke for instance that also gave levels and this is very valuable information because we have quantitative quantitative information yeah it sounds like you've done a lot of the homework to look into these past events you know which we always feel like can help maybe inform how to prepare for the future you know yes, yes. definitely well, thanks natalie thank you alexa for coming You're on welcome. the geotrek podcast uh, best of uh, uh, luck with the rest of the conference and i hope you have a good stay here in the states yeah thank you very much Ma yeah we're enjoying you. it here <laughs> thank you wow you know really interesting to hear these perspectives from france and germany kind of aligning and hearing a similar perspective. I wanted to bring this back to the U.S. where a lot of our GeoTrek listeners live. You know, as I built the first coastal flood database for the United States, the areas that concern me most have seen substantial coastal floods in the past, but it's been a long time. Four areas stand out to me. The first one is really southern New England and Long Island Sound. They had powerful hurricanes in 1938 and 1944 that pushed massive storm surge into the region. Water levels in southeastern Massachusetts near Buzzards Bay have actually already exceeded 20 feet, but it's been a long time since this area had a direct strike from a major hurricane, and people there might not realize the risk. Also, the southwestern portion of Long Island Sound, near the eastern part of Metro New York City, is vulnerable to storm surge pushing down Long Island Sound from east to west. But again, it's been a long time since it's really happened efficiently, but we do see it on the historic maps. A second area that comes to mind, southern South Carolina and the Georgia coastline concern me because this area had a very hyperactive hurricane history in the late 1800s, but things have been really quiet in general since then. Consider this, during the 11-year period from 1888 to 1898, eight hurricanes passed within 75 nautical miles of Hilton Head, South Carolina. Eight hurricanes in 11 years. During the following 48 years, it never happened once. Zero hurricanes tracked in that zone, and they still haven't had that many hurricanes pass through there in recent decades. The concave coastline shape from northeastern Florida to southwestern South Carolina including the entire Georgia coast, has received some hurricane impacts in recent years, like Hurricane Matthew in 2016 and Irma in 2017, but nothing's really been a direct uh, catastrophic strike. They've been a bit peripheral, even though they've opened some people's eyes. I'm concerned about, you know, um, an 1898-style storm that put a 16-foot storm surge into Brunswick, Georgia. We have photographs of just complete destruction along the Georgia coast in 1898. We know some other years, like 1893, were also really catastrophic just north of there. I think the 1893 storm may have killed 2,000 people. See a lot of fatalities. Uh, that coastline is actually set up to very efficiently pile up storm surge. 
but they have been lucky. They don't really protrude out into the ocean like the Florida Peninsula does or like um, the Outer Banks of North Carolina do. So in general, they do see less hurricane strikes. But if they see one, we could repeat what we saw in the late 1800s when it was really catastrophic in that area of the world. Area number three that concerns me, the west coast of Florida. When I show the U-surge map of peak storm surge levels along the Gulf Coast since 1880, the one, the one area that has no observed surges exceeding 13 feet or four meters is the west coast of Florida. The biggest storm surge on record in this area was 10 and a half feet at Tampa in 1921. But since then, most of the vicious storms have tracked either to the south or north of there. Storms like Eloise, Opal, Ivan, and Michael impacted the Florida panhandle. While storms like, you know, hurricanes like Wilma and Charlie tracked farther to the south. We're talking about storms that were in the Gulf tracking towards the state of Florida. However, models suggest we could see a 20-foot storm surge in Tampa Bay. Um, it's just a matter of time. You know, we don't know it could happen this year. It might not happen for another 100 or 200 years. But the physics are there that it could happen. And people may not realize this, but a long time ago, back in 1848, when the city of Tampa was not yet there, but there was an army base, there were back-to-back -back storm surges reaching 10 feet and 14 feet in this region. I discussed this on a documentary I did with PBS Nova called Killer Typhoon, which aired back in 2014. And we talked about the vulnerability there of the Tampa region and areas in West Florida. The fourth area of the U.S. that really concerns me for forgotten coastal flood histories is really South Texas. Extreme South Texas saw a lot of action in the 1930s and 1960s with Hurricane Beulah in 1967 generating a storm surge around 18 feet. That was a massive flood event. A little farther north in Corpus Christi, big surges hit in 1916 and 1919. The most catastrophic event in the area was a 15-foot storm surge that hit Corpus Christi Bay in 1919. The photographs from there just look really catastrophic. It was a big event, even though it was more than 100 years ago. From 1961 to 1980, four tropical surges of moderate height hit the area, with water levels generally around seven to nine feet. But since Hurricane Allen in 1980, the area has been very lucky, and they've had no substantial storm surges. When I did a hurricane chase for Hurricane Hannah in 2020, a minor storm surge inundated a few low-lying neighborhoods in the Corpus Christi region. And this, even though it was minor, was the highest storm surge in 40 years. All of these areas that I shared, Southern New England, Long Island Sound, Georgia, Southern South Carolina, and the Northeastern part of Florida there, the West Coast of Florida, and then South Texas, all of these areas concern me because they've had substantial and in some cases catastrophic coastal floods in the distant past, but it's been a long time. Since then, we've had millions of people moving to the coastline in these areas that have never seen anything close to what mother nature could throw at them. And these lessons, I think for the States, match up very well with what our friends from Germany and France shared at the EVEN conference, that they've seen some catastrophic flood impacts in Europe from floods simply repeating what's happened in the past, but that we've forgotten about. Hopefully we can learn from our history and prepare. We don't want to cause, you know, uh, panic or anything like that, but we don't want to be blindsided, right? We need to prepare at least for what's happened in the past with a lens that with climate change, with rising sea levels and heavier rainfall, what we see in the future could be even um, even greater magnitude than what we've seen in the past. Just some lessons learned here from the EVAN 2022 conference. It was great to reconnect with everyone. Thank you to our faithful listeners here. 
on the GeoTrek podcast. Hey, join our community called GeoTrek the Community on Facebook. On social media, we, we discuss these topics. You know, we'd love to hear from you about what are some things you're seeing in your community or some insights you have on these topics. Do you know your local flood history? Do you know your local hazard history? What about it concerns you? And what about your friends and neighbors? Are they aware of your history of hazards in your area? Or have a lot of these hazards happened a long time ago and people have forgotten about them? Really interesting topic of discussion because it relates everywhere. And again, if we go far enough back in time for any location, whether it's a coastal flood, hailstorms, tornadoes, wind hazards, ice storms, whatever your hazard is in your area, look back in the history. And if you don't know that history, talk to a librarian, talk to a historian, and there'll be someone in your in your area that would, I think, like to join you on that journey to go back in history, find out what's happened in the past, which can help us be better, cons- better prepared for the future. Everyone, thank you so much to our faithful listeners for listening to the GeoTrek podcast. On behalf of the GeoTrek production team, this is Dr. Hal signing off from Orlando, Florida at the Evan 2022 conference. We'll catch you on the next episode of the GeoTrek podcast. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Hal. Thank you so much for listening to the GeoTrek podcast. If you're wondering how we come up with such interesting topics each week, we rely on an amazing global community to help direct our scientific fieldwork, articles, and podcasts. If you have an idea for a topic or can connect us to an outstanding future podcast guest, please reach out to us on our website at geo-trek.com or on our Facebook group called GeoTrek The Community. On behalf of our GeoTrek production team, this is Dr. Hal. I'll catch you on the next episode of the GeoTrek podcast. Yeah.